The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Stocks searching for some direction as investors await minutes from the latest Federal Reserve meeting and more insight into its latest three-quarters of a percent rate hike. Talk about shedding light, lawyers and executives overseeing the bankruptcy for FTX, opening the firm's books for all to see, highlighting a massive misuse of customer funds. Big tech's hiring headwinds not over for now as yet another tech giant says it's going to trim headcount. Plus, unrest in China's iPhone city as thousands of workers reportedly clash with securities as COVID-induced tensions have come to a head there. And then later on, JPEG never had a chance. That's the takeaway from a new report detailing the former CEO's short stint at the helm of Disney. It is Wednesday, November 23rd, 2022, the day before Thanksgiving. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Dominic Chu and for Brian Sullivan today, let's kick off this hour with a check on U.S. equity futures ahead of the Thanksgiving holiday. As you can see, we are poised for some marginal slight moves to the upside at the opening bell. Currently, the futures are indicating a just about 46, 47 point increase for the Dow Jones Industrial Average at the opening bell. The S&P 500 implied higher by roughly seven to eight points and the Nasdaq higher by just about 14. So green, it's a good sign, but not markedly so. So we'll see how things develop. Checking on the bond market, we are still seeing yields hovering just around that call it three and three quarter percent mark for the 10 year Benchmark Treasury note yield 3.75 on the dot right now. The benchmark two-year note yield 4.53% currently, and the 30-year long bond you can see 3.82%. In energy, oil prices are starting to see a little bit, at least of a near-term recovery. It's still kind of down over the long and medium term, but still on the day, WTI crude U.S. benchmark prices back above the $80 mark, $81.52, up 56 cents, up up just about three quarters of 1%. Ice Brent crude futures, the world benchmark gauge up 67 cents to $89.03, up three quarters of 1% as well. And in cryptocurrency prices, we are watching Bitcoin and Ether very closely, at least a little bit of a bid today, back above the 16,000 mark for Bitcoin, 16,542 and change, up two and a half percent north of 3% gains for Ethereum, $1,165 and change as well there. Let's get a quick check on the early action in Europe. Jumana Bersetchi is standing by in our London newsroom with the latest trade there. I see green, Jumana. Yes, there is green on the board, leaning slightly green. It's a couple of stories that we're focused on. The PMI numbers came in, the flash numbers for November. Eurozone as a composite came in slightly better than expectations pointing to perhaps some moderation in terms of the declines that we've seen over the last couple of months. So that is at an aggregate level being quite positive. FTSE 100 over here in the UK up six tenths of a percentage point. We're seeing a rebound in some of the mining commodities names. Zetra DAX up about four basis points. The Kekahont also up about a tenth. But there is 
one stock in particular that we've been very much focused on today, and that is Credit Suisse. You can see the bank shares behind me are down about five percentage point. But just in the last couple of minutes, so we have got wins that the Credit Suisse shareholders have now unanimously approved the company's four billion Swiss franc capital raise, some 92% and 98% of shareholders at an extraordinary general meeting. The EGM supported the two share capital increases, which were first proposed last month under the bank's restructuring plan. Now, according to the bank, the final terms of the rights offering are expected to be announced on November the 24th. And remember, this is part and parcel of a major restructuring plan that Credit Suisse unveiled a few weeks ago, including a spin-off of some of its major divisions and a refocus on its wealth management division. The stock is down, though, almost five percentage point because they've warned about a more than one billion Swiss franc loss in the fourth quarter. Dom. All right, Swiss banking in focus there. Jumana Bersetschi, live in London with the latest there. Thank you very much. To some of this morning's top corporate stories, for that we turn to Silvana Hinao. Silvana, good morning. Dom, good Wednesday morning to you. Well, former FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried is telling his former employees his own mismanagement of company assets and risk positions is what led to its sudden and spectacular collapse. In a letter seen by the Financial Times and Bloomberg, Bankman-Fried says that he, quote, did not realize the full extent of the margin position, nor did I realize the magnitude of the risk posed by a hyper-correlated crash, adding, quote, I deeply regret my oversight failure. The letter comes after lawyers for FTX blasted Sam Bankman-Fried's management in U.S. bankruptcy court yesterday, saying the former billionaire ran his company as a, quote, personal fiefdom and that the firm spent substantial amounts of money on items unrelated to the business, such as vacation homes in the Bahamas. Unrest in China's iPhone city overnight reports this morning of hundreds of Foxconn employees clashing with security personnel over ongoing contract disputes, strict anti-COVID controls and poor living conditions. In unverified social media posts, workers can be seen pulling down fences and arguing with hazmat suited personnel. Employees at the factory have been living and working inside the compound for weeks without any outside contact. And new details about Bob Chapek's tenure at Disney and his downfall. According to the Wall Street Journal, ongoing tensions between Chapek and then-executive chairman Bob Iger over decisions from staff cuts to operations continuously eroded confidence in Chapek even from his first days in the top job. Over the past two years, the journal said Iger made it clear to friends and colleagues of his disapproval of Chapek's leadership, setting off a, quote, whisper campaign across Hollywood, one that JPEG would never escape from, Dom. All right. High drama. There's still a Disney. Thank you very much, Silvana Hinao, for that. Back on Wall Street on this holiday shortened trading week. Futures right now are slightly bid as investors look ahead to a leading economic indicators report from the likes of Deere out later on this morning with its earnings. Plus, the Fed releases minutes from its latest policy meeting at 2 p.m. Eastern time later on this afternoon. So joining me now is Annika Trion, chief economist at Van Lanschot Kempen. Uh, Annika, this is a scenario now where the economy is a huge focus because we're wondering if the slowdown that we're seeing in Europe, the slowdown that we are seeing somewhat less to a degree here in the U.S., will ultimately lead to a market downturn even greater than what we've already seen your thoughts right now on whether or not that soft landing can be achieved both here and in Europe. Hi, Dom. Good morning. Well, thus far, markets have been having a pretty good time in the last few weeks. And I think, you know, obviously helped by the fact that there was very negative sentiment, very negative positioning. 
Markets are always driven by what's happening at the increments. And it was re- it's been a real glass half full period of two incremental positives happening at the margin. The first one is, yes, interest rates are continuing to go up. Yes, central banks are still hawkish. But the rates at which increases are taking place, that will slow down. We've surpassed the peak. It's not possible that we see you know, events such as a 16-fold increase in rates in the last nine months in the US, for example. So that's an incremental positive. The other incremental positive is, again, a slowdown in the rates of increase in uh, prices, so a, a slowing inflationary pressure. Um, to your point about, well, economic data, what's happening in the real economy, especially in Europe, but also the US, those are the next two incremental factors which markets are going to be forced to look at. And those are serious risks when it comes to markets, you know, risk assets, equities, et cetera. Do you feel as though, Annika, that, that, that central banks around the world, the Fed, the ECB, BOE, others, are, are in tune currently to a satisfactory degree with the markets and what they're telling them and vice versa? Are markets interpreting the Fed? Are they all on the same page right now? Well, I think that the Fed, you know, the other central banks as well, but probably predominantly the Fed, their number one mission, you know, besides the mandate that they have, obviously, for pricing pressure, their number one mission is to restore credibility, to keep those long term inflation expectations anchored. If they pivot too soon, if they try too hard to listen to cracks into the markets, they risk having a much more severe economic impact later because they would be forced to react even more aggressively than they've done thus far. So in that sense, you know, there is a mismatch and there is a lack of tuning in between what the Fed is having to do versus what the market is doing. But I think more importantly than that, the Fed knows exactly what it's had to do, right? Raising rates. Let's talk about the housing market. We're all alarmed by U.S. mortgage rates of 7%. Let's not be naive. Let's not underestimate the negative wealth effect that comes from the fact that more than half of U.S. households are homeowners and that, you know, the household sector is about 20 percent of the entire economy. And if a Fed official you know, himself is saying that home prices could go down by 15 to 20 percent, that's an enormous drag on the economy. And, and that's what I mean by the increments from an economic data perspective, from a company earnings perspective, which are clear risks. All right. Annika Trion. At Ben Lanchok Kempen, thank you very much for the thoughts. We appreciate it. Have a nice week. When we come back on the show, much more on the FTX saga. And as we track the crypto contagion, we've got new insight from Investopedia on sentiment. Plus, tech's hiring headwinds showing no signs of slowing down. The latest company trimming headcount. That's coming up ahead in that mystery chart. And then later on, Europe's energy troubles are far from over. We're live in Greece with a look at the state of liquefied natural gas, LNG, and what's ahead for a continent in crisis. We've got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this commercial break. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. 
Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. The beginning of the bankruptcy process for FTX, marking the latest turn in the ongoing saga, that is the exchange's high-profile collapse. As fallout continues to grow, many investors have been left searching for some answers. For more, let's bring in Caleb Silver, the editor-in-chief at Investopedia. Caleb, your readers, your viewers, your listeners are always dialed in on these kinds of matters and situations. What are some of the key topics around this FTX collapse that they are looking for more information on? What are they searching on? What are they searching for? Where is the heat right now? Yeah, good to be with you, Dom. And I think the FTX collapse is going to make for some very interesting Thanksgiving table conversations this year, very different this year than obviously over the past couple of years. We're always fascinated to see what they're looking for, and they're trying to learn. They're looking for the obvious, which is what is the FTX exchange? But they're also asking questions about cold storage. You know, everybody was wondering, should you have your Bitcoin or your cryptocurrency in cold storage or with an exchange? Cold storage was definitely the way to go if you were an FTX account holder. But they're also looking for historical comparisons, Don. They're asking about the Enron collapse. Are there similarities here? They're asking about the Lehman Brothers collapse. So very fascinating to see those that are not that deeply invested in cryptocurrency, wondering if this is a very similar scenario to what played out in 2008 and in 2002 and three. So, Caleb, I, I mean, can you give us some context about the level of, of interest, the the intensity of these searches, the, the, the numbers around it? Are, are, we, are we seeing more or less because of FTX than we saw, say, at the height of Bitcoin prices when they were pushing 60 plus you know, dollars per token. Yeah, well, I would tell you that about half of the top 10 searches on Investopedia lately have been around FTX, have been around cryptocurrency. Nothing compared to when Bitcoin was 64,000 and everybody had FOMO, uh, but now that their the collapse is underway with FTX and potentially some other crypto exchanges, and we've seen some currencies really plummet in value, People are uh, definitely searching around, just not at that volume, because now they're wondering how far down can this go? They're looking at all kinds of things about, you know, what happens if uh, in terms of arbitrage, what happens if you want to sell your coins now at a loss? People are asking a lot of questions, especially as tax season approaches, too, if they're looking at losses in their cryptocurrency. So if that's the case, is there any indication? Have, have you seen some history? Speaking of historical comparisons, you know, you mentioned searches for things like Lehman Brothers and Enron. Is there any kind of a, a at least historical precedent that you've seen for, for assets that have gone up very much in price for a short amount of time that have collapsed? Is there any indication of where you could think a bottom might be happening short term? I'm not asking you, Caleb, to call a price on Bitcoin or Ether. I'm just wondering whether or not there's significant downside left or if there's a bounce sometime soon. Yeah, you're asking the right question. And the really 
the question circles around trust because the collapse of an exchange like FTX and potentially some others is ask, is making people ask themselves, do I even trust the cryptocurrency market? Do I even trust this new quote unquote asset class? So if you look at the meme stocks, there was a lot of interest there and a lot of people asking on the way up and on the way down what this looks like and what, what could potentially play out here. But there's still a lot of contagion left in this story. And you guys have done some great reporting at CNBC. The Wall Street Journal, of course, is all over this as well. So everyone's wondering, Who's still exposed? How much money is at risk here? If I had money in the exchange, will I ever get it back? What happens in a bankruptcy proceeding around cryptocurrencies? People are really curious about that because we haven't seen anything like this of this magnitude yet. And I think a lot of our, our readers and a lot of uh, your viewers think that this is not even close to being over, Dom. All right. Caleb Silver with the latest on the FTX saga. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Still on deck for the show, why higher prices for tomorrow's turkey dinner could be a bump for another sector as consumers look for alternative options. That story ahead. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. As Americans gear up to celebrate the Thanksgiving holiday, inflation concerns remain front and center with prices, including for food, remaining sky high, making this year's holiday a whole lot more expensive. But those higher prices could provide a bump for some in the restaurant sector. Pippa Stevens joins us with more on what that and what it may mean for their stocks. Pippa, what exactly can you tell us about restaurants this Thanksgiving? Well, first of all, Dom, your Thanksgiving meal is going up on the heels of rampant inflation. Eggs, butter, canned fruits and vegetables, all sharply higher compared to last year, with turkey prices jumping more than 20 percent. This is prompting some consumers to simply eat out instead. And it's actually part of a wider trend we're seeing. Prices for food at home are rising much faster than prices for food away from home, meaning consumers see better value at restaurants. Last month, restaurants' market share relative to grocery spending hit a record 55.2 percent. Still, we could see diverging trends as consumers opt for cheaper options when eating out. McDonald's has held up well, with shares hovering right around a record high. Given their lower price point, it's seen as a beneficiary if consumers start cutting back. Analysts note that Chipotle and Starbucks also look attractive due to their exposure to higher-income consumers. On the flip side, shares of Bloomin' Brands and Cheesecake Factory are up sharply over the last six months, but their higher price points do make them vulnerable, Dom, to consumers if they do start trading down. All right. So, Pippa, what have we heard from restaurants and these chains about what they've seen so far in terms of consumers making that trade down, right, going going to a lower price point? Well, so far, spending has really held up across restaurants, although we did see some concepts warning of a slightly lower traffic. And some have looked back to 2007 to 2010 to kind of try to glean some insight into how these companies might perform. And McDonald's back then was a big winner, posting same-store sales growth every single quarter. But then again, things are different this time around. You know, we're still working through some of the aftermath of the pandemic, meaning there are fewer restaurants out there. And wage growth is also steady. 
So right now, at least, Dom, consumers continue to, disp to spend despite concepts raising their prices. All right. Pippa Stevens with the latest there on America's dining room table. Thank you very much. Let's get a check on this morning's other headlines. For that, we turn to NBC's Francis Rivera in New York with the latest. Happy day before Thanksgiving, Francis. Dom, thank you so much. I wish it were, especially for people in Virginia. There has been a mass shooting at a Walmart in Chesapeake, Virginia there. This is what's happening at Police say seven people are dead, including the shooter. At least five people are injured. The suspect was found dead at the scene. It is believed that this person acted alone. City officials will hold a press conference at 8 a.m. Eastern this morning. Meanwhile, in Colorado Springs, the suspect in the Club Q mass shooting is expected to appear virtually in court today. Defense attorneys have revealed that 22-year-old Anderson Aldrick is non-binary and uses they, them pronouns. They were released from the hospital and booked at the local jail. Senator Lindsey Graham testified before a grand jury in Trump's 2020 election probe. They are looking at efforts by former President Trump and his allies to overturn the legitimate 2020 election in that state. Those are your headlines, Dom. We send it back to you. All right. Francis Rivera, thank you very much for that. Straight ahead on the show, just in time for the holidays, could Black Friday give a bump to the beaten down retail sector? Former Toys R Us CEO Gerald Storch is here to weigh in. He is a retail expert, but first... Why Europe's energy troubles may be far from over as we get a closer look at a continent in crisis. Our Juliana Tattlebaum is in Greece with large tankers behind her. Dom, that's right. We are live from Revisutusa in Greece. Europe is racing to fill its gas storage facilities ahead of the winter. And as you can see, this LNG tanker has just arrived from Algeria. We'll have more next. Bracing for the Fed, investors gearing up for the central bank's latest meeting minutes and fresh clues about its pace of upcoming interest rate hikes. Futures right now in a holding pattern. More job cuts in technology as HP becomes the latest company in the industry to announce it is slashing jobs. And Europe's energy crisis potentially being averted. We're live on the ground with how critical steps by leaders there could help bypass the impact of Russia's war in Ukraine. It's Wednesday, November 23rd, the day before Thanksgiving. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dominic Chu and for Brian Sullivan. Let's kick off this Wednesday morning, just around 5.28 a.m. Eastern time, with a check on U.S. equity futures that are green right now, but modestly so. The Dow's implied higher by roughly 25 points. The S&P higher by just around three to four points. And the Nasdaq just about flat on the session. So, again, that holding pattern we referred to. Checking on the bond market right now, yields are holding steady relatively there as well. You can see the benchmark Treasury note yield on the 10-year basis is just a hair above 3.75. Well, now it's 3.76 percent. Two-year note yields 4.53 percent. And the 30-year long bond ticking slightly lower to just a hair above 3.82 percent. In energy, oil prices are bid, but modestly so. Again, now they're turned negative, of course. WTI crude still above 80 bucks a barrel, $80.74, down 22 cents per barrel, down about one quarter of 1%. A similar percentage decline for ice Brent crude futures down 32 cents, $88.05 the last trade there. We also want to get a check on what's happening with markets in Europe right now. They were earlier this half hour in the green. 
They are still there, so the German DAX just about flat on the session. CAC in France, just about one-tenth of 1% gains there. The FTSE 100 in the U.K., the real outperformer, up about one-half of 1%. The Italy FTSE MIB down two-tenths and up two-tenths for the Spain IBEX 35. We'll stick with Europe and the region's ongoing energy crisis. The U.S. and its allies are set to reach an agreement as soon as today on the level for a price cap on Russian oil. According to reports, that cap could be set somewhere between 60 to 70 dollars per barrel. Those sanctions are set to take hold in just under two weeks. The development coming as Europe approaches its first winter since Moscow launched the war in Ukraine. The looming energy crisis predicted months before not taking shape just yet as countries shore up their supplies of critical fuel, including LNG, liquefied natural gas. Our Juliana Tattlebaum is on the island of Revathusa in Greece, taking a look at that country's only, only LNG terminal. Juliana. Dom, good morning. Well, Europe has been racing to shore up its energy supplies in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the subsequent cutoff of Russian gas flows into Europe. And Thanks in large part to LNG, Europe has been able to, as you said, avert a worst-case scenario thus far. Storage levels of the gas storage units across Europe are now over 95%. So Europe has exceeded its goal of shoring up its natural gas supply heading into winter. Now, I am standing in Revathusa, the only LNG terminal in Greece, as you said. Across Europe, there are 29 operational LNG terminals. They are extremely costly and take a long time to build. Now, when it comes to LNG, there are two main constraints for Europe. One, import capacity, essentially the ability of Europe to take on LNG supply, regasify it, and then store it for future use. And then the second is supply itself. And here in Greece, it is just an example of what we're seeing across Europe, major efforts to ramp up their import capacity. And just behind me, as you saw before the break, we are looking at a tanker of LNG that's just arrived from Algeria here at this terminal. Normally, they would take on four to five tankers of LNG per month. Right now, they're looking at eight to 10. So it just gives you a sense of just how um, how in demand LNG is in Europe right now. Overall, LNG uh, imports into Europe are up 60% on the year. And then secondly, when it comes to supply, that's the other major concern here. Europe is competing against other countries, in particular in Asia, China, for these critical LNG supplies, the majority coming from the U.S., Australia, and Qatar. And Europe has been paying up. So price is another major concern for Europe in the months ahead, Dom. Juliana, I had mentioned before in, in, in my introduction to you this idea of price caps being in play here. One of the ways that you stifle competition or throw a monkey wrench into it is to put price caps on things if they are agreed upon. That's the whole point of sanctions. And if we do have price caps on Russian oil and other fuel types, that could be a huge impact on the way that these things are trafficked around the world. So what exactly is the state of those price cap talks right now, and and will they end up working at all? So the big story, Dom, right now in Europe with regards to price caps is the gas price cap that was proposed by the European Commission yesterday. Effectively, states, member states within the EU are looking to pull together and leverage their might as a union and agree that they will not pay above a certain amount for gas. The idea being it will... uh, contain the 
prices that European countries are paying for gas. So yesterday, the European Commission proposed a mechanism um, whereby countries would be constrained in terms of how high they're able to pay for gas. It's a really controversial mechanism, though, because if you control or put a cap on how much you're willing to pay, there is the risk that you lose out to other potential buyers of LNG. And Germany and the Netherlands are two countries within Europe who've been very skeptical of putting a cap on gas because they don't want to lose out these critical supplies to countries like China who may be willing to pay more for it. So this is something to watch. And right now, European energy ministers are heading to Brussels to discuss this very proposal. All right. Juliana Tannelbaum in Revathusa, Greece, at an LNG terminal. Thank you very much for that. Let's get a check on some of this morning's top stories as well. Sylvan Hinao is here with those. Hi, Sylvana. Hi, Dom. Well, HP is becoming the latest company in the tech sector to announce it is cutting jobs. The computer maker announcing amid its fourth quarter results, it will slash up to 6,000 jobs over the next three years. HP has about 61,000 employees. The company making the move in response in part to shrinking computer sales. On the quarterly results front, both earnings and revenue topped Wall Street's expectations. Shareholders of the SPAC set to take former President Trump's media and technology company public have voted to push the deadline for a merger between the two until next year. Digital World Acquisition holding the shareholder vote Tuesday, moving the union until next September. The pair had first announced plans to combine in October of last year. The merger is also facing investigations by the SEC and DOJ, according to a recent filing. And Goldman Sachs agreeing to pay $4 million to settle at AC's a- SEC probe into its ESG funds. According to reports, the investigation was focused on how Goldman's asset management arm managed mutual funds and other products that pick stocks based on ESG criteria. The agency reportedly claimed Goldman marketed the funds and similar investment strategies without constantly following a consistent framework that it had laid out in compliance plans. The reports add that Goldman neither admitted nor denied the allegations, Dom. And now with the latest there, thank you very much. Retailers are rallying into the key holiday shopping season after beating earnings expectations yesterday. Best Buy, American Eagle Outfitters, and Abercrombie & Fitch all posting better-than-expected numbers for the third quarter and issuing stronger guidance for the holiday shopping season. Shares of all three companies were up between 10 and 20 percent just this week alone, as you can see there. All of this as investors gear up for the critical Black Friday and Cyber Monday holidays, with the National Retail Federation estimating a record 166 million people are planning to shop this shopping holiday weekend. An increase, by the way, of almost 8 million people compared to last year. But will it be enough to save retailers from continued pressures from inflation, bloated inventories, and a potential consumer slowdown? Joining me now is Gerald Storch, the CEO of Storch Advisors. He's also the former chairman and CEO of Toys R Us and former vice chairman of Target. You could say that Gerald knows a thing or two about the retail landscape, which is the reason why you're joining us. Thank you so much for being here on this day before Thanksgiving, Gerald. I I, I wonder, uh, uh, just an open-ended question for you right now. Is is retail in a good spot? Uh, Unfortunately, I really don't think so. Uh, You know, uh, you you, uh, have seen consumers badly stretched by inflation. Uh, you, uh, it, uh, the uh, spending is focused on necessities as opposed to discretionary items. There was a lot of talk last month's uh, c- uh, consumer sales w- was supposed to be great. 
But when you look at it adjusted for inflation, and it wasn't that great. And when you look at what categories grew, again, it was the things that consumers have to buy with a double-digit increase in food and gasoline still. Uh, so the consumer is very, very stretched. The savings are running out. So I generally am very optimistic and a huge fan of the American consumer. But I think this is going to be kind of a so-so Christmas at best. All right. So, 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 so Jerry, I mean, it, it, we've seen a number of these earnings reports over the last couple of weeks, and I know that you followed them as well. It's been a mixed picture. But many analysts are, are, are saying that th this is, these are company-specific sometimes execution problems as opposed to broader issues, say, like inflation or, or, the, or the health of the consumer. I, I wonder what stood out to you uh, over the course of the last couple of weeks with regard to some of the, the, the highlights or lowlights, if you will, of, of these earnings stories. Look, Tom, as someone who's run many, many retailers, I've never given myself a, an old college cheer for having negative same-store sales. But expectations are so low for many of these retailers that their stocks increased by as much as double digits based on what would historically be viewed as very poor earnings reports. So what they're doing is they're beating low expectations. So we saw Best Buy this week. Way to go. But they had a negative 10.4% same-store sales. And the stock soared because it wasn't the negative 13% that was expected. If you look at most of these stocks that have gone up this week, they actually are posting negative sales years or year over year. In the past, we'd be, uh, you know, uh, apoplectic about that as retailers saying, what's going on? The market's shrinking. And so what you are seeing here is a few, a few retailers are doing better, but most of them are actually struggling, even to hit last year's numbers. Look at Nordstrom yesterday. You didn't mention them, but they had a very bad report. They're down uh, almost 10% last I looked at 9% in the pre-market. So, so uh, uh, certainly... The consumer has got to spend the money on necessities. You'll see people beat from time to time, but that's beating lower expectations. That's not those aren't good numbers by any historical con, uh, construct. You mentioned you, you mentioned, Jerry, uh, this idea of, of Nordstrom. It is down about nine, 10 percent, as you point out in the pre-market right now on the heels of those earnings headlines coming out. It also kind of begs the question a little bit about whether or not the higher end spectrum for retail is going to do better or worse on a relative basis than the value side of things? Or, or, or is everybody under pressure right now? Nordstrom, by the way, earlier this week, we saw analysts at Barclays downgrade RH and Williams-Sonoma because of some of the headwinds that, were fit, that they're facing on, on a more macro basis. So is it the high end that's going to outperform or the value side of things in the coming months? Yeah, uh, I think the value is still where you want to make your bets. Uh, I've, you know, I've said for many, 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 many months that despite a tough start to the year, Walmart was the place to be. That's where consumers go historically when times are tough. The dollar stores, the off-price retailers, et cetera. That's where the real, real uh, gains you might see would be. Costco, again, perennial favorite. They still have the lowest price on anything you want to buy. So they're going to do very well. Amazon has a chance for some comeback here from what they've posted so far this year because they're the place to go on, on e-commerce. Luxury has held up really well, surprisingly well in this environment. But you see the stock market, even though we've taken a hit from their mid-pandemic highs, stock market over is still okay. And so the, the highest correlation for luxury sales is the stock market. So as long as the stock market kind of hangs in there, luxury sales are going to be okay. And that's what I'm hearing from most people. I wouldn't view Nordstrom as indicative of the entire luxury segment. A lot of it has gone to, you know, the specialty stores themselves in the very high end, which Nordstrom is actually not. Department stores as a whole have lost massive market share during the pandemic and before. And they're bragging kind of, oh, look, our sales are almost the same as they were in 2019. Well, meanwhile, sales overall are up 40, 50 percent in the market during that period. It's been a number of years to go back to 2019. So they're losing massive market share, including Nordstrom, who's the class act 
of the industry. It's just not where people are shopping anymore, even for luxury. Jerry, before we let you go, we've just got a few moments left here. You're not an economist, but you've been around the block a few times in business. Do you feel as though the inflation story in America has peaked? Look, whether it's peaked at a very high level and isn't coming down very rapidly, or whether I'd still got a ways to go and even increase a little bit, I can't answer that question. But I'll tell you what, there's no way we're done with it. It's built into everything. And with a low, uh, low uh, jobs numbers to low, low unemployment numbers, it's impossible to find people to work. And so what you have to do is keep raising the wages. So we're, we're stuck in a, in a wage price inflation cycle for some time to come. Based on my experience, you know, this is going to go for quite some time. All right. Gerald Storch there with the latest on the retail business. Thank you very much. Happy Thanksgiving, sir. You too. Coming up on the show, deer on deck. What to expect from the ag manufacturing giants quarterly results and what they may signal about the health of the broader U.S. and even global economy. It's considered a bellwether. But first, as we head out to break, some of your big money movers, Nordstrom, as we just pointed out, swung to a third quarter loss, although adjusted earnings did beat analysts' forecast, to Jerry's point. Revenues fell more than 2%, but still topped estimates. However, the department store is trimming its profit outlook for the year, hence the pressure there. It also says sales slowed in the past few months, and some customers are waiting until closer to Christmas to shop, maybe hunting for deals. Shares of Manchester United, Man U, are surging right now. The U.S. owners of the Premier League football club say they're exploring strategic options, including a possible sale. The Glazer family, who also own the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, bought Man U for roughly $940 million back in 2005. Earlier this year, rival Chelsea was sold for $3 billion. Man U shares up 10% pre-market. And finally, check out Polestar. The stock is lower today, but it shot up more than 20% yesterday after the EV maker announced it recently produced the 100,000th Polestar 2 model. Last week, the company said it could see record deliveries in the fourth quarter. Polestar is up more than 70% in November, which would easily be its best month since going public via a SPAC merger back in June. Polestar, electric vehicles, Worldwide Exchange. We're back in a moment. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Former FTX CEO and founder Sam Bankman-Fried, SBF, telling his former employees in his own mismanagement of the company assets and risks positions is what ultimately led to its sudden and spectacular collapse. Now, in a letter seen by the Financial Times and Bloomberg and others as well, Bankman-Fried says that he, quote, did not realize the full extent of the margin position, nor did I realize the magnitude of the risk posed by a hyper-correlated crash. Adding, quote, I deeply regret my oversight failure. I lost track of the most important things in the commotion of company growth. The letter comes after lawyers for FTX blasted Sam Bankman-Fried's management in U.S. bankruptcy court just yesterday, saying the former billionaire ran his company as a, quote, personal fiefdom and that the firm spent substantial amounts of money on items unrelated to actual business, such as vacation homes in the Bahamas. Well, shares of Deer are marginally lower today, ahead of the company's fourth quarter earnings. You know that sound and that music. It means we have an earnings report. They are sharply higher, though, over the past three months. The farm and construction equipment maker is seen as an economic bellwether for Wall Street and the economy, benefiting from record high equipment and crop prices this year due to supply chain shortages. The company has topped expectations in 11 of the past 12 quarters. For more now on what to expect, let's bring in Rob Wertheimer, the founding partner and director of research at Melius Research. 
Rob, uh, deer we often look to as a global bellwether because they sell their stuff just about everywhere that you need heavy ag equipment. What exactly are you looking for in this particular upcoming report? So the story of this quarter for industrials has been generally pretty good demand, and deer should have lots of demand. Farmers are buying as much equipment as they can get. Uh, and the trick has been supply chain management. So trying to get margins back into shape after, you know, after a difficult supply chain. So what we're looking for deer, roughly 100 bips sequential margin gain uh, as price sort of catches up with all the, the turmoil people have had managing, you know, managing getting stuff in the door. How exactly, how, how much more in your mind is deer, is deer more or less of an economic indicator in the current environment that we're in, given supply chain issues, given some of the strange, I guess, external factors being brought on things like crop prices outside of, say, weather or anything else? How much has that impacted deer and can we still count on them as that kind of bellwether, that indicator of the global economy? For sure. I think for supply chain, we're looking for that exact thing. Uh, for the ag space, it's a little bit less correlated in some ways. Obviously, you have your demand flowing through, and obviously supply chain has showed up in inflation of crops as well as everything else. Uh, but I think it'll be a good a good look as to whether the world is slowly, I think, getting out of the, the hole that we've dug on supply chain. When it comes to deer, it is part of this industrial complex that, that that's viewed as the indicator for the economy. I, mm -hmm. I wonder in your mind, is deer the best place to be right now as we head into earnings in this industrial kind of equipment machinery side of things? I think of other companies like Caterpillar, uh, other companies in Europe that, that, that are doing the same kind of thing. Is, is deer the place that you want to be? So we do have a buy rating on deer. There are other good things happening in the industrial economy. When you look at the flood of money and spending coming into the U.S. as reshoring happens, as semiconductor uh, chip plants are built, as auto and clean tech and battery chains are built, uh, there's a lot of beneficiaries in the industrial world. In my world, that includes Caterpillar. United Rentals would be kind of a pure play. Uh, Sunbelt Rentals, uh, Herc Rentals on that sort of construction wave in North America. And we think there's a lot of room in the industrial space as the consumer economy sort of cools off uh, and spending comes back. All right. Rob Wertheimer, currently right now a price target of $463 on Deer and a buy rating as well. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you later on. Uh, on deck for the show here, investors are gearing up for the latest look at the Fed's rate hike path going forward, a look at what to watch for on a very busy pre-Thanksgiving trading day ahead. Worldwide Exchange is back after this with the Dow implied higher by just 10 points now at the opening bell. Today is the busiest day of the holiday shortened trading week for economic data, which is being crammed in before everyone heads out for Thanksgiving. At 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time, look for weekly jobless claims and October durable goods. At 9.45 a.m., we get Flash Manufacturing and Services PMI for November. And then at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, it's October new home sales and the final read on November consumer sentiment. Deer reports fourth quarter results before the opening bell today. And this afternoon, the minutes from this month's Fed meeting are released at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. So a pretty heavy docket this day before Thanksgiving. Ahead of the trading day on this Thanksgiving Eve, let's get a check on futures right now, which have lost a little bit of steam just in the last half hour or so. The Dow is implied higher by nine points right now. The S&P just up by one point, and the NASDAQ is slightly negative. Joining me now is Ross Mayfield, investment strategy analyst at Baird. Uh, Ross, this is a scenario right now where a lot of folks are saying, hey, volumes are drying up here. Should I really be doing anything on this holiday shortened trading week? Is the market right now in a stable and balanced position in your mind? 
I think for now, right, as you mentioned, a lot of data yet to come. And I think that can kind of uh, have a big effect on where we go from here. But look, it's been as calm uh, a period in the market as we've seen this year. You know, a lot of days over the last 10 days um, with less than a 1% range. So it's been a very calm period in the market as I think investors have gotten kind of comfortable with where we are, right, which is inflation high, but decelerating the Fed aggressive, but potentially slowing and earnings, you know, wrapping an earnings season that was uninspiring, but but not, you know, fall out of the bed bad. So I do think the market is kind of comfortable with the position we're in now. Um, but in this kind of volatile environment, you know, that can change day to day. So we'll watch the data today. We'll watch the inflation data over the next month before the Fed meeting and get a better handle on where we are in the year end. I mean, comfort and volatility are, are, are interesting words to use right now. I'm, I'm looking at the CBOE volatility index, the VIX. We don't often talk about it, but right now it's hovering right around 20, 21, 22 points. The reason why that's important was a month and a half ago it was up at 33. This is an indicator of stock market volatility. That means volatility has pretty much collapsed in just the last four or five weeks. Does that signal anything to you about whether or not we could be due for another bout of downside volatility? So this has actually been something interesting all year. The VIX, while, while you're right, it got up above 30 and it, and it reflected some of the fear and anxiety you know, in the investor base. It never spiked above 40, you know, above 50, which is something that we've seen in past periods of selling like we saw this year. So 2020, 2008, I mean, you saw massive spikes in the VIX. You haven't seen that yet this year. So I think on one hand, it, it does reflect a bit of investor complacency or at least um, a bit of that idea that capitulation hasn't fully happened yet. On the other hand, if you look at the, the same indexes for uh, bonds and for currencies, they've spiked off the charts. So I do think that there's a, there is a piece of this where the volatility is being reflected in the other asset classes and not necessarily um, that, that investor anxiety being reflected in stocks, even though we were down 20, 25% at different points this year. Ross, are, are there any key sectors or industries that you're looking at right now, given the fact that that interest rates are still higher than they were a year ago, but certainly much lower than they were at the peaks earlier this year? Are valuations still a concern given those rates? I think they probably are. Um, at, at past market bottoms, you did see valuation kind of a, quite a bit lower, actually, than we're at right now. Um, uh, the, the couple of sectors that we're watching, I mean, on one hand, you got to watch consumer discretionary, comm services and tech to get a better sense of how is that past leadership doing? How are those, those big behemoths of the past decade holding up in this new world that we're in? On the other hand, I, I want to watch energy closely heading into 2023. Um, energy is supposed to re represent a big portion of earnings and growth for the index next year to the extent that will exist at all. And oil continues to act poorly. It's moving lower. It's kind of waffling around, but not heading in the direction you want if you're an energy company. So we're watching that closely. They're, they're making a lot of money right now, uh, tremendous spread. So um, I, I think there's still optimism, but we're watching energy closely to make sure that the, the positive side of the story in 2023 can hold up. All right. Ross Mayfield, Baird, thank you very much. Have a happy Thanksgiving. You as well. Right now, futures are uh, modestly higher. We'll call it the Dow implied higher by 14 points. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage coming up next. Have a great Thanksgiving. We'll see you right back here on Black Friday. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, 
packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 